welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report, our weekly conversation about the current issues we're exposing, confronting, and changing. It's a big month this month uh, with COVID vaccine eligibility and availability uh, greatly expanding in the state of California. And that's why I invited my guest this week, Anthony Wright, who is the Executive Director of Health Access, which is a statewide coalition of healthcare advocacy organizations that's really been a leader in the fight for fair and affordable access to quality health care and is also a leader in ensuring consumers have uh, access to uh, COVID treatment and COVID vaccines. Anthony, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Carmen. Absolutely. Appreciate appreciate you being here. Um, so this week, um, Big changes have started in the vaccine eligibility rules in California. Um, yesterday on April 1st, uh, we just opened up uh, vaccination uh, eligibility to anyone who's 50 and over. And a couple of weeks from now on April 15th, we're going to expand eligibility in the state to every adult who's 16 and over. And in fact, some of those guidelines are even pushed forward sooner, depending on what county you live in. So um, we're in a situation where now there's going to be a huge rush uh, from members of the public uh, to get the vaccine um, and more shots coming into the state than we've ha ever had before. But also, I think, increasing questions from the public about how do I navigate this uh, this vaccine system? So I would love to talk to you about, you know, with these floodgates opening, more demand, what it means for people who are trying to get a vaccine. So maybe that opens opens the gate. What's, what's the just baseline advice for people who say, oh, I'm finally eligible. I've been waiting for the vaccine. How do I get it? So I think uh, folks should recognize that this is going to take some patience and some persistence. Um, you know, we are expanding out to uh, from, you know, a couple of million people eligible to get the vaccine to, you know, 10 million to, to 20 and and will soon be to to virtually everybody, the um, all the adults in our 40 million person state of California. And so, uh, at the same time, it, it will be different for d different people, depending on what county you're in or what provider you have. Uh, it may be that uh, your provider is set up and will be um, calling or contacting or sending you an email, um, letting you know exactly uh, how to um, how to get a appointment um, to get a vaccine. Um, but if you want to be proactive, I, the main um, place is the w website called myturn.ca.gov, which is the main portal to both find out if you're eligible and to set up an appointment. And it is now a, a more centralized place to go so that you, you don't have to um, do what people had to do a couple of months ago of calling around to every pharmacy and um, or, or uh county site or medical provider in your area to try to see who might have an available slot. It, it, it's trying to be of a more centralized slot. The, the myturn.ca.gov uh, system lets you know when, uh, if you're eligible, if you're not eligible, um, it will let you know that and even give you and, and say, you know, we'll let you know when you are. Uh, but 
but if you are eligible, then it then it can start walking you to the process of getting an appointment for, um, by some provider in your area. And we've you know definitely been hearing um, kind of mixed uh, mixed reviews even before um, the eligibility started opening up to the many many more millions who are going to be able to get it now. Um, but we've definitely been hearing a lot of problems. I guess they're twofold. One, I go online and I just can't get an appointment. It's constantly telling me there's nothing available. Or, or two, I can't go online because I don't have internet access. Uh, you know, I my phone isn't connected to the internet, et cetera. So um, maybe two routes to go down. One, are there alternatives for people who don't have phone access? What do you recommend for people who... Um, can't get online and schedule their own appointment that way. So there is a, a California COVID-19 hotline, which is 1-833-422-4255. That's 1-833-422-4255, um, which is available both um, weekdays, and uh, 8 to 8, and weekends, 8 to 5, uh, which... Uh, for for people who you know don't necessarily have that online access, um, and it is true that um, depending on your situation, it may be that you you are not able to get a um, appointment immediately. Uh, you know that's where both the patience and the persistence comes in. It's uh, there's a, a lot of people who 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 will want it, and I think that again, it partially it will. Un- Fortunately or unfortunately, depend on your on again the county that you're in, the your your health plan and the health provider that you're in. You know, I know that if for people who are in the Kaiser system or you know with Dignity or Sutter or other medical groups, uh, you know, some of those places will be reaching out and and informing for their um, members how they can get an appointment. And so, you know, some of this uh, is de- is dependent on your specific location as well as your specific eligibility group. But those are two at least main central places to go to. Uh, but we, I would also take a look at um, both your county website uh, because every county is uh, has their own resources and are setting up their own local sites for uh, for 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 getting vaccinations, um, especially for targeted populations. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, depending on what category you may or may not be in, if you're an educator or a childcare worker, if you're, you know, in any f- form of the uh, food, food, ch- food supply chain um, uh, industries, or uh, in, or if you, you've had, a pre-existing condition, those are all ways that there might be some um, additional access that make it, that can make it so that you can get an appointment maybe a little bit quicker. Well, that, um, you know, local county recommendation, I think, is really important because, uh, you know, we've, um, I'm in Los Angeles County, and LA County has felt uh, for the last many months uh, just a little bit behind the game in, on the vaccine front. 
for many reasons, but largely just for supply reasons. So we were slower to open up eligibility than it felt like, at least most of, most of the state. Um, but what I've been seeing more and more of recently is communications from the LA County uh, Department of Public Health. You can go on their website. And they've got a lot more options for where you can go. I've also started getting emails from state and federal uh, representatives, so my uh, state senator and my congressional representatives saying, oh, I'm announcing a pop-up clinic in this area. If you live in this area, go here to find out more information. Call this phone number uh, to find out more information about how you might get a vaccine at this pop-up clinic. So folks who are having trouble or who don't have internet access uh, might instead reach out to, you know, your local congressional representative to find out about alternative sites. So we should talk about one, uh, you know, one other thing that goes into the places where um, the vaccine is kind of being um, targetedly distributed now. Um, and you're on the um, uh, health access is on the uh, state community vaccine advisory committee. I know right. and one of the things that one of the things that you're focused on is um, equity in distribution of the vaccine, because we saw from the very beginning of the vaccination process that um, more people in more affluent and um, uh, less diverse communities in California were getting the vaccine disproportionately, leaving out uh, the black and brown and indigenous communities in California. Um, can you talk about some of the targeted ways that the state is reaching out to those communities to make sure that the vaccine is distributed more fairly? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different things that the state is trying to do to, to make sure that equity is part of this rollout. I mean, one was the prioritization list to begin with to so that, um, you know, those that are the most vulnerable or the most exposed had earlier access to the vaccine. So, you know, we started with, our, you know, our healthcare heroes, the workers on the front lines that were that you know, we're most likely to be exposed and in, in, in some cases even explicitly exposed to COVID-19 patients, um, those who are in nursing homes. And as it expanded to other exposed workers and other um, and other vulnerable populations, especially in the senior community, which just, um, you, know, just you know, just devastating the, the, the rates of hospitalization and death for older folks for COVID-19 was just so much off the charts that it really was a public health requirement that we got that population vaccinated as much as possible, if only for the, not just to save lives, but also for the benefit of reducing the ICU capacity for all of us, because right. we really were hitting against ICU capacity um, in many of our uh, regions, including Southern California, the Central Valley, et cetera. Um, so, uh, but I do think that there have been specific efforts both to you know reach out you know especially by certain counties to reach out to certain both um, exposed populations such as farm workers you know having pop up clinics you know at the fields you know in certain um, community communities like that to to, to set these um, these pop up site or these mass distribution sites you know uh, you saw the governor taking tours of multiple stadiums around the state but it's not just these it's not just Dodger Stadium it also is uh, has to be you know in the neighborhoods and in neighborhoods where frankly because of the because of a variety of historical and um, and uh, societal factors what were people who are just much more likely to um, 
have to, to get COVID-19 and to have more worse results as a result of it, um, it was imperative to make sure that we had those facilities based there. And that also you know, meant engaging with community clinics and other entities as well. I do think that um, there are the logistical last mile issues that we've been talking about, about trying to deal with the, the barriers, whether it's of, you know, we talked about some of them of technology and transportation and just time to really, uh, uh, and, we, and we need to, to have other alternatives like not just online, but on phone. There are many counties have homebound programs so that there can actually be home visits for folks who are not able to, you know, physically go to another place to get um, the vaccine. Um, so I, I think that there's been a variety of efforts. And then finally, um, uh, it, it, it's actually part of the incentive structure, you know, in this statewide system, it's, it's, it's part of the incentive structure of, uh, to really target and the allocation of these, um, of these vaccines to, uh, to, to have a, disp- a, a higher share go to you know, those places that rate very high in something called the healthy places index, where, um, you know, we know that there more, there is just a greater likelihood of the multi generational housing that it, it tends to be where um, the virus has spread more frequently, where th- there's been you know uh, greater stress on the on ICUs and hospitals, etc. And uh, so there is um, a variety of ways where there's there's an attempt at having equity as part of this effort. At the same time, you know, we're trying to do this on a system that, on a healthcare system that is inherently inequitable, that inherently has more infrastructure in wealthier areas than in less wealthy areas, that inherently has uh, histories of racism and um, and economic inequality that, you know, historically for years and still has, you know, millions of Californians that are still uninsured. And so, you know, we're, or it's, you know, we're trying to do this on a, on a, on an inherently inequitable system. And so it's not a surprise that, um, even through some good faith efforts, um, the, the rollout has, is still inequitable, even if there's efforts to try to adjust for that. Well, uh, that's, I mean, it really gets to the heart of the matter. And I would add, um, I would add one more factor to that mix of inequity, which is the, the inherently fragmented system, uh, that we have that's split between private, for-profit, non-profit, you know, community, federal, so much, so much fragmentation in the, in the structure of the, the federal system. Um, I've been... And I would even, and I would, and I would underline that completely. I think you know this would this would all have been easier if we had a universal healthcare system yeah. where everybody was already in, where everybody we had a system for doing this. I mean, frankly, we were trying to use the um, you know the diffuse and fragmented system that we do flu shots. And to be honest, we don't do flu shots particularly well. About half of of Californians. Um, we administer about 19 million, about half um, of the population gets flu shots. Even the best health plans in the state have around a 50% flu shot rate. Um, and 
and this was an inherently much more complex and urgent and and um, uh, enterprise that we were engaging on. And so there was a lot of infrastructure that had to be built up to to meet this challenge. And uh, we we hope that we we do for, at the end of the day. And I hope that we can maybe use some of the lessons of this to sort of build the better health system we need for for not just the next pandemic, but even for the annual flu shots and other kind of public health efforts that, you know, we should be doing on the regular. Right. Well, I've been, you know, as this as this um, vaccine distribution effort goes on, I've been I've been noticing that uh, of all of the systems that is, is doing this well, Indian Health Services, which has a lot of flaws, is a single payer health system, uh, is a centralized health system. And one thing they've been doing really well is vaccines. So that 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 uh, just uh, fragmented nature of our healthcare system, our health insurance system in, 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 the, in yes. the country. It's so, uh, it, it, it's really shown a light on the problems with that system. Um, it, before we uh, before we sign off, this has been really useful, uh, Anthony. I appreciate it. The, the reason I thought of this podcast to begin with was because we started gets, getting questions about private insurance and whether or not people have to pay for the vaccine. So we can unequivocally say, no, do not pay for the vaccine, correct? That's right. Uh, you do not have to pay for the vaccine. You do not, the vaccine is free. And this this is re- without regard to your income, to your insurance status, to your immigration status. Um, now, I want to be clear. It may very well be that you are asked at a vaccination site to provide your uh, your health plan and and insurance information, because there is a payment that you know the provider who is providing you that shot is getting a payment for providing that service. But um, that's all done on the back end, and so. If if you are insured, then provide your health insurance, and they know that that's where they can send the bill um, at no cost to you, at no cost, at no at no cost sharing to you. Um, but if you are don't have that insurance, then um, there are b- both you know governmental um, pots of of funds available to cover that. So, and again, there is no um, li- there's no prohibition or limit or issue with regard to income, with regard to insurance status, and with with regard to immigration status. Um, I I think that's a really important uh, um, thing to underline. That we have heard of some people who have, uh, you know, been asked to sign a form that includes some sort of like legalistic language about, you know, um, about payment. And, you know, we've actually complained about that because we don't want to send the wrong signal. It's usually sort of some boilerplate language that some provider has. Um, and it sounds like you might be billed if the insurer doesn't pay. But it, in fact, um, it is both not both federal and state regulation that has it that, you know, all these therapeutics are um, free to the consumer. And, uh, you know, we want to underline that three times. So don't pay, don't pay, don't pay. If someone and asks you to and, pay, and, and, and please get and don't let uh, any fear of payment be a barrier to to, to you um, going to get the vaccine. Um, you know, the, the, these vaccines are safe. They've been they've been extensively tested. 
We've had a committee here in California of California-specific efforts, uh, experts review this to, to make sure that um, uh, and uh, to, to, to provide a sort of a double check on the safety. So we don't want either issues about safety or issues about finances or financial barriers to be in the way of people getting the vaccine that, that will not just help them, but help us as a community get out of this pandemic. Well, thanks for that, Anthony, and thanks so much for joining me to lay all this out for folks. I think it's really useful conversation, important conversation to have right now as eligibility is expanding. Absolutely, it's a it's an important it's an important benefit for all of us, including for uh, and it, it it's it doesn't just help you as an individual get the protection, but it protects your family and it protects the community. So so you know we can all get. Uh, you know, have a uh, move on from this chapter in our in our collective history, which we are all looking forward to so much. Well, thanks again, Anthony. And thanks to all of our listeners, as always, for tuning in. Um, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already at Spotify or SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report.